0: Engage, Quantum Drive. Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville.
1: Today, we'll be discussing season three, episode four, Gently Falling Rain, which was written by Brandon Braga and Andre Bromanis and directed by John Cassar.
0: We do have a new review to read this week, (gasps) a five-star review that was left on Apple Podcasts. And this one comes in from Doddberg, who says, can't get enough. I really enjoy your conversations. Love all the little tidbits. I get just as excited for a new episode of Quantum Drive as I do for the Orville. (gasps) I also can't believe they finally sat in the backseat of the shuttle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All of us are in awe. I think in this episode, too, they sat down at one point in the back. At one point,
0: (laughs) the delegation did not
1: (laughs) when they got back to the shuttle after. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. There was maybe occasional sitting, but there's still a lot of standing. And especially (laughs) in rough weather, too, it seems like rough conditions.
0: And in the middle of like two fleets of ships combating each other, still standing.
1: Maybe they still have a really good center of gravity.
0: Let's go with that.
1: That strong core. (laughs) Thank you for the review. I'm really glad you're enjoying the show. And thank you for taking the time to tell us that you're liking the show.
0: Yeah, and if you would also like to have your review read on the podcast, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star written review. We don't have any emails, but we also had someone leave a comment on the website at Uh thegeekgeneration.com. People can go there and also leave comments on our episode posts, and sometimes they'll do that. So here is a comment from Jane who says, Hey, I love the podcast. I'm currently finishing college, and the podcast is the highlight of my week. Nothing is better than coming home, putting on the pod, and snuggling with a hot cup of tea. If you had to pick a favorite episode of the Orville, what episode would you pick? Lots of love from the United Kingdom.
1: Jane, thank you so much. That is, sometimes it boggles my brain that someone like puts on the podcast and listens to us talk. Because it's just such a surreal idea to me, but it makes me so happy when you share these with the podcast and with me because I'm just honored that somebody puts us in their routine to hang out with us and talk about something that we love and that they enjoy. So thank you, Jane. Yeah.
0: I always assume that people are doing something else while listening just because that's how I often consume a lot of my podcasts. But if somebody's actually sitting down and just listening to us, that is super dedication.
1: It means a lot, though. Like, that's so cool that I'm glad that we can connect in that way and I have to say that it's very difficult to pick an episode that's my top Orville episode. Do you have one, Rob? I do,
0: yeah. Mine remains the same still, which is Lasting Impressions, which I know you didn't love as much as I did, but...
1: I figure that there was a little bit more of a creepy route and probably focused (laughs) too much on that. Oh, man, that's such a tough choice.
0: I always assume yours is the identity two-parter.
1: That was one that did first come to mind. I did enjoy Into the Fold quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's kind of like the start of the Isaac Claire family dynamic.
0: Katie can't do it. It's picking a favorite kid and she's incapable. <laughs> I'm literally, yeah, I'm literally like, which
1: one? I honestly, so far this season, I've really enjoyed Shadow Realms. Mm-hmm. I'm still holding out for Nurse Park. Um, (laughs) There is at the end of this episode, specifically, I turned to my husband and I was like, Nurse Park's on board, right? Just because I can't get over that. I hope we get an answer about Nurse Park. Like, just because I think I need the closure. Yeah. But I think Shadow Realms was just exciting. And I I did really enjoy Electric Sheep as well. So yeah, it is like, I I have too many. I don't think I (laughs) I can choose. I think there's like tons of moments that stick out to me from each episode. So it is kind of like picking my favorite child. Yeah. Yeah, but I am curious if anybody has like a specific favorite episode to like comment, leave a review, tell us what your favorite episode is. Cause I am so curious what sticks out to other people and like what speaks to them because it's different for everybody.
0: Absolutely. Well, if you'd also like to send us emails or leave comments, you can leave comments, like I said, over at thegeekgeneration.com on the episode posts, or you can send us an email directly at quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join the Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord to talk about the podcast and the show. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we get into the episode, Katie has trivia.
1: I do. So at the beginning of this episode, this is where the Krill and the Planetary Union are watching a Broadway show called Annie. But as they're panning into the city, I was like, oh, that's New York City, because you can see the Manhattan Bridge in the Mm. opening sequence. And I'm not lying when I said I was researching and looking up bridges and being like, (laughs) which one exactly is it? Because I'm from New York and I was like, I recognized the bridge. And I wanted to make that a fun fact, because apparently the Manhattan Bridge is in the future as well. It's lasted a very long time.
0: Probably went through some renovation, I'm sure, but...
1: Just a few. I paused it on the screen. I like looked at it quite a bit. It's lasted. They had some good construction on that bad boy, I guess.
0: Which is a good like that.
1: Yeah. I just thought it was interesting like to see a future version of a city, like New yeah. York City. That's what it would be. And I want to visit it. I want to go to a future city so bad.
0: <laughs> Especially after this episode.
1: Yes. So the Broadway play that they take the krill to see is Annie, which we just mentioned where she ironically is singing the song Tomorrow, which has a line about how the sun will come out tomorrow. And the Krill famously can't be in the sun. It's not good for them. And the ambassadors at dinner call Annie's song Haunting because it's very ominous that she's singing about how the sun's going to come out tomorrow.
0: I like that little tidbit Mm -hmm. that comes up. Yeah, that's nice.
1: It's a nice detail. The president quotes a poem in the shuttle on their way to Krill by saying, Night falls fast. Today is in the past which is a direct quote from the poem entitled Not So Far As The Forest, written by Edna St. Vincent Millay. It was originally written in 1939, and I read the full poem because I was very curious about it. It features many metaphors of the coming winter, what happens to the trees, snow falling, and then inevitably arrives on the part which talks about a bird being captured. Mm. So it felt like it was very fitting for the episode theme in general, and I know that you had kind of a thought on that as well.
0: Yeah, the atmosphere of krill they make specific mention of it being like five degrees above freezing, something along those lines, and that felt like a connection to the poem because it's like the onset of winter as they're passing through the atmosphere.
1: Yeah, and there is some like analysis of poems, which I think is so interesting. It takes me back to college English.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're like looking
1: like for meaning and things, but it has strong metaphors of death and hopelessness. Mm which it seems like such an uplifting quote when he says it. But if you read the whole poem, there's a little bit more ominousness to it.
0: Yeah. You could even say the theme of the bird being captured is like a foreshadowing moment for the delegation being captured as well.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of layers that they feature in the episodes, I've noticed, like with quotes from things that Mm -hmm. play into the main plot. And I really like that. But you wouldn't know that unless you did a deep dive like this.
0: Right, and you would think they would have to choose something thematic. Otherwise, why include that line at all, you know?
1: Yeah, so I appreciate that. There's also the point in the episode where Ed tells a story to Talia about Ozymandias, an Egyptian king, and it's a sonnet written by Percy Bysshe Shelley. It's first published in 1818, and it said that the message of the sonnet is to convey that power is temporary, regardless of how prideful or tyrannical a leader may be. That life is short and the futility that power, riches, control, fame, and glory are do not last long. And it's essentially, I think, like an allegory to be like, there's so many things bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And even if you have power, it's fleeting. Which makes sense because Talia gets power in this episode. And I think he's trying to check her a little bit. And yeah. she, she's like, I agree with Ozymandias. So th- I just thought that was interesting. And I read this one as well. And so if you're curious about some of the background on the story that Ed told and the poem, I think they're worth a read if you enjoyed this episode.
0: Yeah, for sure. The name Ozymandias for me always reminds me of the comic book Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Because there's an incredibly prominent character in Watchmen also named Ozymandias. And it is not by accident that they give him that name. So I won't say anything more about it for anyone that hasn't read Watchmen, but I would highly recommend taking a look at that book, too.
1: Was that character in the movie as well? Do you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely.
1: I've seen the movie and I completely forgot. So that might be worth a rewatch at some point. (laughs) (laughs) There are quite a few guest stars in this episode. The first up being Lisa Baines, who played Senator Belasque, and she did tragically pass away in 2021. So the episode is dedicated to her. But she's had a ton of work. Like she's done so much over the years. She was in the movie Cocktail and Gone Girl. And then had reoccurring roles on The King of Queens, Six Feet Under, just to name a few. And she had a guest role as a trail doctor in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And the doctor's name was Dr. Renault.
0: Renault, yeah. It was the episode Equilibrium in which Dax has some flashbacks to a host that she can't quite remember.
1: I love that there's so many people tied to Star Trek that end up in these episodes. It's pretty cool to see when you go look at their resume of what they've done. You're like, hey, they've been in Star Trek. It's just kind of a fun little like Easter egg thing to find. Totally. Michaela McManus is back playing Talaya, obviously. I was excited to see her in the opening sequence.
0: Oh, absolutely. Love Talaya.
1: We became very familiar with her because she's been in several episodes, including Krill, Jaloja, and Nothing on Earth Excepting Fishes. And she's been in TV shows like You, which I realize she's in the newest season of You. I don't know if you've watched that on Netflix or not. I have not, no. And also she's from The Vampire Diaries and One Tree Hill. So I was just excited to see her in this episode.
0: Yeah, I know we talked about it before, but I know her best from One Tree Hill prior to this. She played Lindsay Strauss on that show.
1: I've never seen One Tree Hill.
0: <laughs> Guilty pleasure.
1: Not gonna Yeah, lie. I have those too. So yeah. <laughs> Bruce Boxleitner who played the president in this episode and went through some harrowing things throughout this episode. You may have seen him without special effects makeup in the TV show Supergirl, as well as in Babylon 5, where he played Captain John Sheridan. He was in the How the West Was Won and the movie Tron playing Alan Bradley.
0: Yeah, he's the main character of Tron.
1: Yeah, and he's in a ton of voice work, and he's also a sci-fi and suspense writer.
0: Oh, I didn't know he was a writer, too.
1: Yeah, he's done That's a lot. Cool
0: coincidentally, in Babylon 5, the character who starts off as a captain becomes a president. And in Supergirl, he played President Baker. So that seems to be an ongoing theme for him.
1: Sometimes you just got that president vibe and you're just going to get... That's a fun thing to be typecast as. Like, you have president vibes, so we're going to make you the president.
0: Oh, yeah. He's got that gravitas to him, you know?
1: Yeah. J. Paul Bomer, who plays one of the Krill high priests in this episode, mm-hmm. has been in past episodes Blood of Patriots and Cupid's Dagger, but he's also been featured in other shows like Young and the Restless and has a few features in Star Trek Voyager.
0: Oh, I didn't know about Voyager.
1: Yeah. So I cool. saw the Star Trek tie-in. And I was like, I have to mention that. Yeah. So Charlie Townsend, who plays Anaya, Eden Talia's daughter, yeah. which I know we'll get into later... <laughs> Has quite a lot of work for someone of her age. She's nine years old and she's lended her voice to the show Muppet Babies. I love Muppets, so I was excited about this. <laughs> as the voice of Rosy Bear and then has done another TV series called Tots, which is a show about birds who work as the only non-stork delivery birds in training known as Tiny Ones Transport Service. If that's not the cutest thing.
0: Oh, which is what TOT stands yeah. for. Oh, my goodness.
1: It was just adorable. And I had to mention that. So that's all the fun facts and the guest stars from this episode.
0: All right. Well, then let's get into the episode itself. We begin on Krill, where a massive crowd has gathered to listen to a speech from Taleya. She condemns the actions of Supreme Chancellor Corin and his decision to negotiate a treaty with the planetary union ultimately declaring her desire to become the new Supreme Chancellor.
1: This was an intense speech right out of the gate.
0: It felt a little longer than I would have expected it to, but mm-hmm. with these longer episode times they have, they have this time to breathe and do what they want. But I did not expect... I was hoping we would see Talia at some point this season. I was not expecting to be like, first scene of this episode, boom, Talia.
1: She's always had that energy of power... So this didn't seem too far off. I was like, this makes sense for her to be leading a group of people, inciting a group of people and just having a very radical stance on things, but also just the whole vibe of it. Immediately, I knew it was like an election. I'm like, she's going to win. There's Mm -hmm. no way she's not going to win. Because also seeing the crowd just getting amped up, it's an intense way to start the episode. And the speech did go on longer. And I think it is because we're just used to things being cut short so Mm -hmm. much because of runtime. Yeah, But she actually had the chance to say what she needed to say. And it, I think it was more impactful that way.
0: For sure. On second watch of this, I found it interesting that she talks about going home to talk to their children, considering what we learn later in the episode.
1: <sighs> I don't want to get too ahead of myself. When we get to that point, I was sitting on my couch, just mouth open on the floor. <laughs> so I was like, I was shocked. I will say throughout this whole episode, I got goosebumps a lot.
0: Yes, I did too.
1: And I first, because I was like noticing, I'm like, am I cold? And then I'm like, no, the show is (laughs) making me like excited and feeling tense. And just I had like a physical reaction where you get those goosebumps of like something's happening here. So this episode just has a very energetic vibe to it. You feel the energy from this episode.
0: I completely agree.
1: Even if you're just sitting on your couch, I would be hard pressed to find somebody who didn't get goosebumps at least once during this episode. Yeah. The Krill delegates are visiting Earth, and the Union representative have taken them to Broadway to watch a multi-species rendition of Annie. At the dinner that follows, they discuss the peace treaty and the need for cooperation against the shared threat of the Kailan. When Admiral Halsey suggests the possibility of one day visiting Krill, the Chancellor proposes that they sign the treaty in their city of Dalakos. They also discuss the upcoming election, which Corin assures them that he'll win.
0: I enjoyed, like you mentioned in the trivia, the flip of the meaning of the Tomorrow song, how that's something considered hopeful for us, but for another culture is just absolutely terrifying. And that's it's just a complete cultural difference that they would interpret it differently.
1: The thing that I loved is there a little bit of humor in this episode, the fact that they didn't know if they should clap or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't sure if it was because they were upset about the meaning of the song or if they didn't know culturally that we clap. But I think that that is something we share It was more of probably an upsetting song to cheer for.
0: Yeah, it was probably a little both.
1: I loved seeing the stage with all the different multi-alien crew doing the play of Annie.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of extra makeup work that they didn't have to go for, but they did. And again, the details matter.
1: Mm -hmm. I saw Dan up there, which I know that's not.
0: A Dan, Dan's. yeah. <laughs> I saw a Dan up there and I was like, it's
1: a Dan. Uh, but I enjoyed the discussion at dinner too about the haunting tale of this orphan girl and just the way the Krill discussed culturally what Annie is to us is such like a, I don't know, it's just, I, I think everybody knows Annie. Like we all grew up with it.
0: Yeah. They've
1: remade the movie several times. It's on Broadway still. So it's just neat to see an interpretation of that in the future and then yeah. the perspective of an alien race that has never seen Annie before.
0: This is something that will come up throughout the episode as well, but the connections to modern politics really can't be ignored because they are such a big part of this episode. How a lot of modern politicians use fear and ignorance to gain power. It is a little maybe heavy handed throughout the episode, but it still works.
1: Yeah. It was something about Corinne too, when he says, I'm sure I'm going to win. Yeah. That I also go, oh, you're not going to win this time, buddy. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It is nice to see, like, all the admirals together. I got Mm -hmm. excited about that. (laughs) Yeah. And just, I love the idea of seeing the Manhattan Bridge and what New York City looks like, and then them enjoying dinner in a high rise in New York City in a Planetary Union building, and just all those little details that it just makes the world so much more fleshed out, so it feels more real. Mm. And I just had a realization, because the treaty is such a huge part of this episode. Yeah. And now that's thinking ahead to the end of the episode. Oh, boy. Yeah. It was so hopeful at the beginning.
0: This is also probably, if I had to guess, the longest intro in an episode that we've had before seeing anybody from the main cast.
1: That is true. I will say I love seeing like the new makeup, the new aliens that we got to mm-hmm. see meet the president, all of that. I like the president. I hope he sticks around.
0: Yeah. And fortunately, he can.
1: <laughs> it was iffy there for a minute, yeah. but...
0: <laughs> We shift scenes to the Orville, where the crew is enjoying a pub crawl through history in the environmental simulator. Currently in its 1800s western setting, we learn about Tala's promotion to lieutenant commander while witnessing a bit of flirtation toward her from John. They're interrupted by the appearance of Isaac, who enters wearing a cowboy hat and fake mustache. Just then, Mercer and Grayson are called away to speak with Admiral Halsey.
1: I enjoyed all of this. Especially Isaac at the end. The line that he says. <laughs> yeah. This town will not accommodate the numerical totality of our combined mass.
0: In other words, this town ain't big enough for the two of us.
1: I loved it so much. It was great. Again, I'm bringing up Isaac not being fully a robot thing because, you know, he took the time to put on a little mustache. And <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that whole sequence. I definitely noticed the flirtation between John and Tala, though. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming at all.
0: Beginning as something, maybe. I did enjoy the callback to Bordis' mustache. Speaking of mustaches,
1: yes. mm-hmm. that's a good memory. Yeah, it's neat to see them outside of a bridge scenario, just being able to like be themselves. And the idea of a pub crawl through a simulator through time is super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And they start at the Western, and then Gordon talks about, I think, his dad, how far his dad had gotten through the pub crawl.
0: Yeah, they had, like, ancient Rome at one point, and they go up through, like, the water wars and stuff, they said.
1: I think that's such a neat idea. I don't really like pub crawls, but just the fact that you could visit in one night several different places in time. Yeah. The concept of that is so novel, and I definitely enjoyed the thought. And part of me secretly wanted me to see them go through more time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just to see the different scenarios, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would have been down for that. Halsey informs them about the success of the peace talks with the Krill and thanks them for the role that the Orville played in setting the table for it. As a result, he requested the Orville for transport duty in taking the union president and delegation to Krill for the treaty signing.
0: This is a small detail, but one that we've seen before. I like how this show doesn't bother getting them back into uniform before the call. Mm -hmm. They get the call, they go right there, and they take it. That's it. Like, we've seen people rush to the bridge in their pajamas. It's not a time for like, oh, I need to change. It's like, oh, I have to make the thing that I need to get to the priority. Nobody cares that I'm not going to be in uniform for this. Everybody understands. There's no question of it. It's just right there.
1: It's more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you're not always going to be in uniform. I do get envious of the fact that they just have something that they wear every day and they don't have to think about (laughs) outfits. But yeah, like you come out of the sim, part of me sometimes wonders like if they're going on a pub crawl through time, would their clothing change with each era that they went into? Because they can't be wearing Western stuff before they go to Rome.
0: It's a good question.
1: So then part of my brain goes, well, when they leave the simulator, would their clothes change back? And it's just this whole... That's what my brain does in these scenarios.
0: There's always the possibility of a, I believe I had the same thought with Trek too, that like inside the simulator, you could still synthesize things. Yeah. So like, even though you're not going to synthesize like a whole human being or a whole environment, that's what the simulator does. But if you need an object that you want to take out eventually or something that is more tangible and more real, you can just synthesize clothes while you're in there.
1: The technology is probably so advanced that he's wearing it or they're wearing it to go get this call. But if they stayed till ancient Rome, it would have changed. It's like the synthesizers built in.
0: It's (laughs) certainly possible.
1: This is not important, (laughs) but I just think about these things. It's exciting that they did play such a huge part in getting this treaty going with the Krill Mm -hmm. and that they're being not rewarded because Halsey says, like, you earned this. This isn't just because I'm giving this to you, and I'm excited to see them get this first experience. They're going to Krill for the first time ever.
0: They're getting a lot of firsts lately. Yeah. The Union delegation arrives on the Orville, and Admiral Halsey takes Ed and Kelly into the briefing room to show them footage of Talaya's speeches. Given her backstory, she's established herself as a bit of a folk hero, appealing to the more radical demographics. Ed is disappointed, as he thought he knew her better.
1: I think Soleil is really good at putting on a certain face where I think deep down, she's very conflicted.
0: I agree. She literally has put on a separate face before. Mm -hmm. So if she can actually do that and become a whole different person... There's no limit to like how she can shape herself given any specific need.
1: A lot of it's very ironic because she says the right thing, but then she ends up doing something differently. So seeing her make these impassioned speeches, it just makes me wonder what her true intent is. I think she wants to be this rule with an iron fist, krill values, but her daughter is half human. Can you fully be on board Krill all the way when you have someone in your life or someone who you know will be greatly affected if it Mm -hmm. is just Krill all the way? Yeah. Her speeches are so aggressive, too. So she's very forward with her aggression. But I think that after the fact, she does things differently.
0: You could say even that her speeches and her attitude are an overcompensation for the guilt she feels. Like if she feels some deep attachment to Ed, which it's suggested that she still does, she could be feeling such shame from that based on her culture that she goes extreme in the other direction.
1: And if that's the case, she goes hard in the other direction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's very intimidating. She's always come across as somebody who's very intimidating. But I think deep down she's more of a softy than she's willing to even admit to herself. Exactly. I'm just curious how this is going to go for the future relationships of the Krill and the Union, but also just Ed and Talia and all that because they're yeah. so much more complicated now. There's pre this episode, now there's post this episode, so everything's kind of changed.
0: Which they kind of make note of too.
1: Yeah. In his quarters, Ed apologizes to Kelly for ignoring her objection to his decision to release Talia. He then shows her footage of Corin yelling at protesters before gassing and killing some of them. However, the footage is fake. It never actually happened. Both sides are using these influence operations to stoke outrage against one side or the other. More
0: commentary on the state of modern politics here, I feel like. Influence Operations is basically a substitute name for fake news.
1: And like attack ads. Yeah. I would imagine. But also, yeah, fake news. That's such a literal interpretation of it. But I remember even watching this scene being a little confused because I was like, wait, so that's fake. Just I think part of my brain went, wow, deep fakes have gone really far. (laughs) The technology is so much better now, which makes sense. But It's also really saddening to think about like people in power being willing to do that just to get more power.
0: I mean, it's a reality in the reality we're in because people will slap like a Photoshop together and tweet it out. And everyone's like, oh, that's totally legit. And it becomes news. And it's not. It's just something that somebody threw together.
1: It is really sad because of how fast news air quotes travels nowadays. Like Twitter specifically, there is a very big trial that happened recently And something went viral about it, but it was not true. Mm -hmm. The people are tweeting it and quote tweeting it and saying, oh, I can't believe this person did this. And it wasn't a real thing, but it went to the point where there was hundreds of thousands of likes on it and it wasn't real. Yeah. So I'm always a, a hardcore fact check whenever I see something that I'm like, I'm not sure about that. That's not coming from a source I trust. But in a future society where it seems like power is so important, you're willing to do whatever it takes to fake that. The fake, I don't know, gassing people. Like, I just don't understand morally, like, how someone yeah. would be like, yeah, put out a video of him gassing people so I can win an election.
0: Well, it seems like it's commonplace the way that they talked about it. The fact that they have influence operations and both sides are doing it.
1: I just, I hate it because it is very <laughs> much like how our society is. Yeah. A lot of stuff where it's like, oh, we have the future. We can use the internet and all this stuff. And everything's just so much, it's just muddy and people just willing to do whatever to win. And I understand now why people get older and get a little bit more jaded, mm-hmm. but I do feel like it, it does inspire me to at least try to fight for stuff a little bit more. But it's just disappointing. And I, I like the commentary that the Orville has been doing this season to yeah. just parallel some of the stuff that we've actively dealt with in the last couple of years.
0: Agreed. As the Orville arrives in Krill space, three battle cruisers escort them to the planet. Ed takes Ensign Burke along to fly the shuttle with the Union delegation to the Krill capital. Burke and Halsey carefully pilot the shuttle through the atmosphere, revealing the sprawling Krill city beneath the clouds. They successfully land and the delegation departs.
1: One of my favorite things from this episode, just that whole reveal. Like, I know I saw it in the trailer, but there was just something much different about watching it.
0: See, I didn't watch the trailer, so this was the reveal for me. Because I I don't like watching trailers before episodes. I like going in as cold as possible. And oh, man.
1: It's just so good. The CGI and the SFX this season. It's just, it doesn't fall off at any point. You're never like, oh, they really went hard with the first few episodes. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it looked like a real city.
0: Yeah, it was beautiful. I did not expect the Krill City to be as colorful as it is.
1: I loved that, though. I mean, if you ever watch the YouTube videos, you can see all the lights I have in the background. (laughs) So there's all, obviously, when you fly, they're flying into Krill. There's just purple lights, green lights, lots of really brightly colored lights. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned to Rob before we started recording, whoever did the lighting for this episode passed, like, green and purple lights by their faces when they're in the shuttle. And I just really appreciated that detail. But Krill was just beautiful. It it was a beautiful city.
0: It really was. Yeah. I thought it looked amazing.
1: They're all standing in the shuttle, Rob.
0: That is true.
1: There was some turbulence and they were still standing. (laughs) Maybe they go through some sort of training simulation where they're like, if you're ever standing and you're in a, you know, a wild situation, here's what you do. Because at this point, I think it's not going away.
0: (laughs) Halsey didn't want to pilot for the sake of piloting. He just didn't want to stand anymore.
1: (laughs) That's true. Ed was like, I'll take this one. I'll stand in the back. (laughs) This is also where Halsey said he knew that they were drunk because oh, yeah. Ed and Kelly specifically were like, I don't think he knew that we were drunk. And so it was a good day. And then Halsey, when Ed's trying to be like, I can fly it. He's like, I knew you were drunk.
0: <laughs> good burn. And yet big thing to drop right in front of the president.
1: <laughs> I know. Everyone in that shuttle heard. So. Yep. After passing by a massive statue of Avis, the delegates arrive in Chancellor Corrin's office and admire the view of the city. A member of the chancellor's staff then informs him that the final districts are reporting and the situation with the election has changed. As more results come in, the circle of clerics are prepared to sanctify Talea as the new supreme chancellor. A group of armed krill then arrive on the orders of Talea and arrest Corrin for treason and take the union delegation into custody.
0: So here's a question I had. Granted, it breaks the entire episode, but... Even if the election seemed like a sure thing, why schedule the treaty signing on the same day that the results are coming out? Push it back one day. Wait till the election's over and sign the treaty as like the big, I got reelected. We're signing the treaty type thing. Don't do it when there's a question like that hanging in the air.
1: Why wouldn't they just sign it already, though? Do you know what I'm saying, too? Like, why haven't they signed it already?
0: Well, they wanted to do it ceremonially on the Krill capital. So they probably did it as soon as they could. But even still, like it's, it's, it's just one day. Wait, one day.
1: Also, I just feel like it's a really important treaty and it probably, it's nice to have the pomp and circumstance, but the Kalon are a huge threat and there is an election. My brain just goes, let's just get this out of the way. It's done. I mean, I feel like maybe Telea could undo the treaty.
0: She totally could.
1: So, The whole election ready room kind of situation that they had going on was very tense to me with like all the little things they were watching. It reminded me of the elections we have here, which are very doom and gloom sometimes and sitting and watching like Georgia's reporting in. And if they get this state, that doesn't look well for this person. So I just felt like they did a good job of building tension of like, oh, he's not going to win this, is he?
0: Yeah, it's one more thing that modern politics mirrored. We saw this fairly recently, where it mm-hmm. seemed like one person was a sure thing. All the polls showed that one person was a sure thing. And then the radical demographic made it go the other way somehow.
1: It's very close to home. And so just immediately the switch, they arrest Corin, And the way that I look at that is that there are radicalized people already within the ranks of who works around the chancellor. Yeah. So as soon as Talaya is like predicted or announced, it's like, all right, the plan we have in place to get you arrested is already a motion. It's kind of a scary thing to think about.
0: It is. He had a valid point that Talea is not the official chancellor yet. So he still has the ability to challenge that result, even if it doesn't result in anything. But it's crazy how fast it all moved.
1: I just felt stressed because he's also turning around saying, like, it's a coup. And the other people are like, well, it's done. It's in Avis's hands now. Which reminds me, when they pass by that statue of Avis, very epic-looking statue. Oh, yeah. Very, like, angry-looking, too. Also not surprising. No, but I just I liked that we got to see a statue of this Avis we've heard so much about, and see what in theory they worship. All of this was just a very stressful situation from the get go. Didn't have it in the bag, and now literally a lot of high ranking people are being held hostage, essentially.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, one of the krill vessels locks onto the Orville with a tractor beam. The cruiser contacts Grayson and tells her that the treaty has been nullified and they're to be imprisoned. Kelly calls down to Lamar in engineering and orders him to execute Directive 21, then puts the ship in red alert. The Orville fires on the tractor emitter and frees themselves. As they're taking evasive maneuvers, Kelly checks in with John. When he reports that Directive 21 is clear, the ship goes to Quantum.
1: Also another stressful sequence, they are fighting three Krill battlecruisers. Yeah, and they have to Quantum eventually. This is the first time Directive 21 comes up, right? Yes. So we don't find out what that is till later. I'm sitting there on the couch like Directive 21. I'm like, have we heard this before? And I'm trying to rack my brain through everything. But then I'm also like, what is taking John so long? (laughs) Just because I'm like, (laughs) they're taking a lot of damage. And just knowing what's happening on the planet's surface and then seeing the Orville quantum out of there. Mm -hmm. I got that, like, I think goosebumps again of just like anxiety. Yeah. What's going to happen I know they're not going to leave them behind, but just it's not a fair fight. It was completely and utterly not in their favor. And there was nothing they could do but leave that situation.
0: Yeah. And Kelly's taking longer than normal, just stalling for Directive 21 to be complete. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing what it is, I watched the scene very closely on the second watch through. And I was looking for a shuttle emerging from the Orville until I remembered that they can cloak the shuttles. So it's a good chance that that's exactly what happened. And I did look for the shuttle bay being open maybe, but everything was so fast that it was hard to tell.
1: Yeah. Knowing what Directive 21 is later and then rewatching, you're like, oh, there's got to be like a little drop where they pop out of it. Mm-hmm. That's why it took so long. That's why they couldn't quantum out of there. But exactly. like, Technically, they should have quantum already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it created a lot of mystery and fear about what was about to happen to the Orville as well as the crew on the surface. Mm-hmm. On Krill, Talaya addresses the population as the new chancellor. She brings out Corin and calls him a traitor and a heretic, then takes out a dagger and publicly executes him. She then tells the crowd that the president of the Planetary Union and his delegation will also face justice. As the Union delegates discuss the situation in their holding cell, Mercer is escorted out.
0: Kind of mentioned this already, but again, she's moving super fast for someone who has not even been sworn in yet.
1: She doesn't have a lot of experience either, which I have issue with anyway, because I don't feel like you technically need experience in order to be a good leader. True. A lot of the shows that are popular or glorify the presidency in the U.S., the thing that comes to mind is like West Wing, but just how toxic the environment it seems like being in politics is. Mm-hmm. Just everybody's a backstabber. It's all about games and just the whole idea that you need to be from politics in order to succeed in politics is kind of a messed up idea. Yeah. And in a theory, Talia coming in fresh and motivated, I don't know that I feel like publicly executing someone first day, first couple (laughs) hours is generally a good idea. Maybe, I don't know, but I think she might need some advisors like, you know, the West Wing or something like that. She literally just murders this guy.
0: Well, I think the biggest mistake she's making there is she's alienating his supporters right away. when. In order to really get what she wants, if she was thinking about it that carefully, Mm -hmm. she should be ingratiating herself to everybody as much as possible so that her influence grows. But now there's definitely going to be, and we see that there definitely is, a group of people who want this treaty to happen.
1: The election was super close. So the fact that she's right out the gate killing the last chancellor. Part of me is wondering if the Krill are just more of an aggressive group of people than other races and that in the past this would have been something that was normal maybe when the chancellor switched over they get stabbed I don't know <laughs> I don't
0: think that's the norm but I think what they're showing here is the the extremist nature of Talia's regime and yeah how she's holding Avis up as her rationale for doing anything she wants
1: yeah it's very much like back to core values yeah. kind of thing did you get any Star Wars vibes here
0: not really no
1: just like with her looking over the city and all of the the people down in the square and she's so high up.
0: Oh, I didn't think of Star Wars specifically, but that, I mean, that's a common thing in a lot of movies.
1: Yeah, it just reminded me of like the baddies from Star Wars a little bit, <laughs> which I'm also like, I don't think Talay is necessarily bad, but I think she's doing some bad things.
0: Oh, she's definitely doing some bad things. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, like it was such a close election. It doesn't make sense to just stab the man.
0: Agreed. Mercer is brought to Talea's office, where the two discuss the current situation. Ed insists that they need each other to fend off the Kalon, but Talea thinks their new weapons make them powerful enough to stand alone. Talea also reveals that she killed Corin, and Ed admits that perhaps she's not the person he thought she was. Talea then informs him that the delegation is to be executed in the morning. As Ed is escorted back, the Krill officers give him a hooded cloak and tell him to put it on. And this cloak... Gave me Star Wars vibes.
1: Yeah, very Jedi. Yeah. Just that hood. Very Obi-Wan Kenobi. Exactly. <laughs> this is the moment I felt like there's definitely some disarray in the ranks of support. I wasn't sure if it was like a underground group trying to help Ed or if it was her people helping Ed, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I had the same questions. I wasn't sure quite what was going on here. And then the next scene makes it even more confusing.
1: Yeah, I agree. That whole sequence of go through the side door, stop asking questions, there's not much more to say about it except like what is happening and who are these people and are they going to help or hinder? Yeah. Because honestly, it could have gone either way.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: Grayson then receives a call from Talea, who takes the opportunity to take shots at the commander based on the inside knowledge she has of her and Ed's relationship. After the call, they contact Admiral Perry who asks about the status of Directive 21 before telling them that a fleet of ships will be at their location in two hours.
0: I like this cleverly placed reminder that Directive 21 is still an ongoing thing. Like Mm -hmm. we're right at the point where we might have started to forget about it. And they're just like, oh, just keep that in the back of your head. That's a thing that's still going on here.
1: Also that Admiral Perry knows about it. It's like a thing now. Yeah. So, yeah, another thing of like what's going on with Directive 21 and me again going, wait, do we know what Directive 21 is? And I'm like trying to rack <laughs> my brain. Talea was harsh to Commander Grayson.
0: Oh yeah. Using inside Oof. information to just really take those shots.
1: In front of the bridge crew, too.
0: Oh yeah. She doesn't care. She's
1: just so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Like there's a code, okay? Like there's a code of conduct. It's just cheap shots.
0: I bet you is operating from two mindsets. One. This is my enemy Two. this is competition. Even if it's not a conscious one, this is a former mate of Ed's.
1: So you're saying like jealousy a little bit,
0: a little bit.
1: She might be trying to hit below the belt. It's a power trip. That's the only thing I can think of. like trying to belittle Commander Grayson in front of everybody else. Try to embarrass Kelly. It's all like a power move thing. Oh, absolutely. Which she definitely could be operating from jealousy. But maybe to is like super insecure. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying she seems very conflicted and confused. And now she's been given all this power. Maybe she didn't expect to get it. She's just running her regime, which I think is a very interesting word that you chose. uh, (laughs) In a very toxic way right out the gate. So it's it's not setting things up for a very smooth transition or leadership role. Like, I don't think the way she's doing things now is going to end up making things better for the Krill.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think that is supposed to be our intention. It is. Anytime there is extremism like that, it generally does not go well.
1: I just don't understand why, man, to have that stuff used against somebody later on is just such a low-hanging fruit, really just not classy way to deal with stuff. That's
0: exactly why she did it.
1: (sighs) You're better than this, (laughs) Talaya.
0: Ed in disguise is escorted through the city streets until a group of Krill civilians fire at the officers and take Mercer with them. They bring him into a dwelling where they reveal a half krill, half-human child. When Ed asks what's going on, they tell him that the girl is the daughter of him and Talaya. Talaya provides for her needs, but keeps her hidden and has no contact with her. Ed introduces himself and learns that her name is Anaya. Her caretaker believes that Anaya could be a symbol of hope, allowing the treaty with the Union to still happen. Ed also learns here that the officers originally took him away because Talia was trying to release him.
1: I will say when they're going through the streets, part of me is like, why didn't they take a car? <laughs> but it's not as exciting because the meat guy. Yeah. At first I was like, wow, this guy really wants to sell some meat.
0: Yeah, very aggressively. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I was like, I didn't pick up on that. Maybe he was a distraction. I, I thought he either. just really wanted to sell some meat. <laughs> Do you think that they killed the other Krill or just kind of stunned him?
0: I don't know. I didn't give it a whole lot of thought, honestly.
1: I did, because I was like, as Ed's meeting his daughter for the first time, they are just dead girl in the streets. <laughs> so yeah, my brain wandered back there for a minute. But it just shows like there's two factions essentially operating in this world now. Mm-hmm. And clearly, the ones taking care of Anaya are Team Peace Treaty.
0: Oh, yeah. And this does validate Ed a little bit that he was right about some things. Even if Talaya is behaving in such an extreme manner there is something deep down there that still cares about him.
1: I need to ask you what you thought when we first learned that Ed and Talia have a kid.
0: I thought it was wild because I didn't know how intimate their relationship was. This revelation that they were together together was Mm -hmm. new to me. Like that was never something confirmed and they never really alluded to it that much other than the fact that they did sleep in the same bed at times. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think I know really how long their relationship lasted. So I never really knew whether or not it had gotten to that point.
1: Anaya was fairly not old, but like older than I expected, Mm. which showed that I'm like, oh, wow, quite a bit of time has passed. True. And my mouth was on the floor. I was like, wait, Ed has a kid? And just was, it's just like all those things where you think about like, well, clearly Krill is not a safe place for her to be. She can't go outside. Like, she's just in this room all the time. What kind of life is that for her? And I thought Ed handled it quite well, considering that all of this is being dropped on him in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. I thought that he might try to take her with him. Hmm. That didn't happen, but...
0: Yeah, that thought didn't occur to me. I'm wondering now why it didn't. And perhaps it's because Ed knows how much damage that would actually do to Talia. Like her being there, even if Talia is not in direct contact with her, Anaya is having an influence over Talaya just from her presence and being there. If Ed were to take her away, I think that would be seen as one more aggressive action for Talia to get angry about.
1: Yeah, I think maybe Anaya's the one thing keeping her from going completely over the edge.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that is the case.
1: That's so not fair to Anaya.
0: No, it's not.
1: And like you could tell like the people caretaking her are like they care about her and mm-hmm. think she's special. And that toy she was playing with, too. We were talking like it's like a future Simon Says kind of thing.
0: I was thinking Rubik's Cube-ish.
1: Yeah, maybe like if they had like Simon Says and uh, Rubus Cube had a baby, she that was the toy she was playing with. I just felt sad about the whole situation. And also having that revelation that Ed has a kid and had a kid with Talaya just adds such an interesting layer to the show where I'm like, this has to come up again at some point. One would think. You can't just have Ed's kid show up and then just never bring her up again. (laughs) That's like life changing news. Like regardless of if she's in the show, I don't think you're the same person after you find out something like that.
0: Oh, no, it changes you.
1: Yeah. So part of me was like, you've got to get her out of there because I'm just that way about things like the fairness of situations. Because I'm like that kid deserves better than the two adults treating her that way. If Mm -hmm. that makes sense. She doesn't have a choice. Yeah. And it's not fair to do that to a kid, regardless if it keeps humanity or a semblance of you going over the edge like that kid deserves a chance. I want them to save her. I want her to live outwardly in Krill or wherever she wants to without fear of being treated a certain way or even her own mother treating her a certain way.
0: Agreed, though. I don't think that's a concern for her just yet it might become one for her as she gets older. But I think the show made a point for Ed to spend some time being like, are you happy here? Are you treated well here?
1: Yeah, which I'm really glad that they did that because it's hard to not lean into the thought process of like, It's her developmental years, though. And it's because the psychology brain that I have all the stuff I learned, like there's so much that could be enriching her life and Mm -hmm. setting her up for success. And she still has like the love from her caretakers and she seems happy, but she also doesn't know any different. True. So that's just where my brain goes, where I'm like, I'm rooting for Anaya here and I really just want the best for her. And I want to know more about that. I want to kind of know how Ed feels about it and... I think she deserves better than just to be a reminder to Talia to not be just an awful person.
0: I think she'll become more. I think that's just the message of this episode, but I don't think that's the end of the story.
1: She has lots of toys, so I guess that's a plus. <laughs> True. The Union fleet has arrived, and they set a course for Krill. Ed goes back to Talaya's office, and she becomes frustrated with him, saying that she doesn't want to kill him. He then reveals that he's met Anaya and says that they should stand side by side with her to show that coexistence is possible. But Talia refuses. When Ed asks why she had the child then, she takes him to a chamber where parents are shown simulations of the children whose lives they have terminated in the womb.
0: I thought the scene where Ed goes back to Talea's office is just fantastic, their whole interaction. However, I could have done without the simulation chamber stuff where they're having the parents regenerate this image of the kid. And mostly just because I'm not sure what it added. I think it could have been more meaningful if Talia couldn't give Ed an answer because she was perhaps still struggling with her own rationale as to like why she kept this kid.
1: I know why they put it in the show because it's definitely supposed to parallel abortion yeah. and abortion rights and stuff, obviously. I think Mark and I were talking to... The whole chamber sequence seemed out of place just purely because Talaya was helping him escape. Ed somehow gets back into the office. Mm -hmm. like She just took over as chancellor. The idea that she took the time to take him to one of these chambers to show him didn't line up with... Because it doesn't come up again, really.
0: Yeah, and it's not really what the episode's about. So it does feel a little disjointed. It feels like we took a little aside to make this specific commentary and then we got back to the episode that we were on. It was it was an odd insert.
1: Like, I know why they did it. And I, I didn't mind the discussion and how, like, Talia comes from a society where it's viewed as the best way to put it as sinful mm-hmm. to do that to your child. And Ed asking, like, why would we have a kid? Why would you do this to them kind of thing? And her excuse is her radical, like the way that the Krill tradition is.
0: Right. And I think. That's why the scene is weak, ultimately, because it gave Talia an excuse instead of forcing Talia to actually question why.
1: I wonder if it was just used as a way to have a commentary.
0: I think it was. But again, that's not what this episode's about, which is why it felt like a strange insert. And then aside from everything else we're already doing.
1: I know in my takeaway, I talk a tiny bit about it just because it stuck out to me a lot in this episode Mm -hmm. just because it didn't flow with the rest of the story, I guess. Like, I I guess the discussion did, though, when Ed and Talia are talking, like, he's asking, like, why? Why would you do this? Like, he wasn't informed. She still went through with the pregnancy and then she doesn't even interact with Anaya. Mm -hmm. So it's not an unfair question to ask. I think I would have enjoyed more of a conversation between Ed and Talia. Yeah. Just even if they had a discussion about this versus the simulation room.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. The simulation room gives Talia an easy out from the conversation that they could have had. Yeah. Talaya returns to the office balcony and has the union delegation brought out. Meanwhile, Grayson has arrived with the fleet and demands the release of their people. So the crew respond by deploying a fleet of their own. Talaya brings the president forth and plunges the dagger into him but a pair of Krill then throw light-emitting devices into the air that distract everyone long enough to pull the delegates away. As they rush back to a transport, we learn the meaning of Directive 21. Lamar and Dr. Finn underwent a microdermal makeover to appear as Krill.
1: This is just an exciting sequence, and like the little tools they use were just very effective, and I was like, dang, that's like a nice way to handle this without it being lethal.
0: My first thought was, wait, a couple Krill through that, but they didn't seem affected by this until, of course, we learn they're not actually Krill. So that makes sense.
1: I did the same thing because, you know, like it has the handoff between the two factions or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, is this another faction doing another coup kind of thing? But yeah, it's definitely apparent that they are not Krill since they are unaffected by this flashing Pokeball.
0: Yeah. And it's nice to see that they've moved beyond relying on the Calivan tech to do their appearance changes.
1: Yeah, which I wonder if there's not as much like issue of it glitching out.
0: Oh, yeah, because this is an actual physical change instead yeah. of just like a holographic projection.
1: That's why it took so long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited that they got out. I really thought the president was done for. You know, they're going through the list. And I had a moment, too, because TV shows will kill my favorite characters. And I was like, they might kill Admiral Halsey. Oh, So the president goes up and I'm like, oh, he's the new guy. He's going to have to go, I guess. But then I literally was like, there's not really a scenario in which I think they can survive this. But I'm happy that the president was removed. All of them got away. But that chase sequence was epic. That's the next scene. Yeah. As the ship fleets battle in space, the transport rockets away from the capital and returns to the Union shuttle. As the Orville is taking fire, the shuttle leaves Krill and crashes its way back aboard. Having successfully retrieved their people, the Union Fleet retreats.
0: Fantastic action and effects in both of these scenes.
1: It reminded me of a Nintendo 64 game about pod racing.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally,
1: I sat on my couch and I yelled, now this is pod racing just because they show the perspective of the front of the... And it's just zooming in. And I was like, that's so like the cities you fly in and the pods. That's (laughs) funny. It was a really cool sequence, though. And I love seeing future tech, just like I like seeing future fashion, Mm -hmm. how future cities are set up, the roadway systems, like the buildings, all of that. And it's just an epic sequence in general.
0: I found it interesting that John relied on Charlie for navigation when that used to be John's job.
1: Listen, he's moved up in this
0: world, okay? <laughs> and apparently, forgotten all his prior navigation stuff.
1: I liked seeing the makeup, the krill makeup on Claire and John too. I thought yeah. it, it's always cool to see characters that you know in makeup, so that was fun too.
0: For whatever reason, I noticed on John, his like chin things prongs were like longer than a lot of other krill. At least they stood out to me. I was like, why are they so long on him?
1: <laughs> That's just how it manifested. He's just got long so. chin prongs. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Back on Earth, Halsey tells Ed and Kelly that the president will make a full recovery. The admiral suggests revealing Anaya as their final play, but Ed doesn't think it's a good idea. Once alone with Kelly, he admits that he already misses his daughter, though he also thinks he might never see her again. We're then back in Talia's office, where she's watching her daughter on a view screen. The end.
1: She's not a TV show. <laughs> I know that she is a vehicle to... And that's a nice touching moment that Talia has that shows that she hasn't forgotten about her daughter. Mm -hmm. That's still something that's on her mind. But man, she's just still sitting on the bed playing with the same toy. It's
0: true. I think they're saying a few different things here. I think they're saying that Talia has not forgotten about her. I think it's a way of further establishing the connection between Talia and Ed. It's saying a lot with very little.
1: It's not over is what I mainly got from it. And the whole conversation between Ed and Kelly was bittersweet just because she's talking about, I always thought you would make a good dad. And I just, we never got to that point. Yeah. And then they have breakfast together. So that's something I also talk about in the (laughs) takeaway as well. But just that the ending is not really like uplifting in the sense it's like a somber end to the episode for everybody.
0: Yes. But I think there is also a glimmer of hope in that scene of Talia looking at Anaya too. I think it's Talia removing herself from the extremism of where she's standing right now, looking through a window into a future that could be. Even if those things aren't in her conscious mind, it's what the episode is metaphorically telling us in this moment.
1: I'm very curious if this season we're going to get more Talia and Anaya. Or if it's going to be one of those things that like, fingers crossed, future seasons. Because this show does a really great job of bringing stuff back from past seasons. So you you can get surprised and like, I didn't know Talia was going to be in this episode. Nor did so, I, So, no. yeah, when you start the episode, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Talia And I hope the story's not over. I'm sad for Ed. I'm sad for Anaya. I'm sad for Talia So essentially, it's just hoping that they're setting it up for a future where everybody gets a happy ending?
0: I don't know if everyone's going to get a happy ending, but I think the story is far from over.
1: I'm hoping for a happy ending for everybody. <laughs> oh, I am 3D. too. Talayah has a change of heart. Anaya <laughs> is just living her best life and Ed can visit whenever he wants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shared custody.
1: Shared custody. Perfectly
0: amicable. <laughs> okay. What then is your big takeaway from this episode?
1: I had one question for you before I share my takeaway, though. Sure. How do you feel about the bridge now?
0: Oh, right. I hadn't thought about it. And that's probably a good thing because I feel like it has become commonplace for me. It has become the new norm.
1: I was wondering because there is a scene where I noticed Kelly sat down in the bridge and I'm like, oh, the bridge does look pretty different. So I was like, I got to ask Rob if you were still missing the carpet.
0: It's already stopped feeling different for me. It did not take long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just takes a little time to get used to it. Yeah, Yeah. I think it does look nice. It's very bright and it looked very epic during the battle sequences. I'll give them that. Oh, yeah, totally. So my big takeaway from this episode, it was visually stunning. Like, I can't get over the CGI, the special effects, the lights, everything from this episode. Like. I love me some space porn. I love future city porn. <laughs> 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 on YouTube, there's a bunch of like ambience videos that you can put on. Mm-hmm. So you can listen to gently rain falling or a fantasy city where hobbits live. Like
0: it was not accidental that you just said gently rain falling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I may have listened to that today while I was working. But there's also one where you can watch like cyberpunk cities and it has rain mm. and it has like all the LEDs and lights. I put them on so that I have sound on when I'm doing my job. And this is the kind of city that I would want to visit if I ever got a chance to be in a future city scenario.
0: (laughs) With less aggression and violence, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Like, no. Yeah. Take all that away. (laughs) It looks like a beautiful place to visit. Yeah. But even seeing New York, like the little flying cars, like all of that, I just was. It's like that kind of stuff speaks to me on a level I don't fully understand, but it's just it makes me so happy. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed getting the New York City moment and then also Krill getting to see that the place where we've learned so much about the Krill over the last few seasons. Now we got to see their home planet and how things work. And so I appreciated that they didn't shy away from showing lots of it, too. They did not skimp on like you got a little back alleyway. And then oh look over here. There's a it didn't feel like a set, it felt like a literal city that they filmed this in.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And even when Talay is doing her speeches up on that ledge, I don't know what that
0: balcony. The
1: announcement, the announcement balcony, <laughs> the murder balcony.
0: <laughs> the murder
1: uh, balcony. It looked like a real city. Yeah. Like when they would show her face and then like the background. I was like, this doesn't even look like a green screen. Like it just looked phenomenal. And that's the only way the sets. Everything. They did not
0: dial back the scope at all. They went full on.
1: No, I I really love that part of the show, or this episode specifically. We had talked about it earlier, like the whole abortion thing that they mm-hmm. brought up. There's a lot of topical issues I feel like they bring up in this show. Mm. And like in the past, they never give you the answer to those questions. They always just leave the question lingering. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an interesting interpretation of how things are in the U.S. specifically. Just because of how divided our country can get on almost everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, what I thought was just very interesting is that this was filmed probably two years ago. And I think partially scary for me that something that was an issue two years ago is still just as relevant today. And like that kind of stuff, it ignites a fire, but it just also frustrates me that yeah. our society is functioning in this way. So, in a way, I know it was shoehorned into the episode a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad they brought it up because I feel like it made me more aware of just like, damn, there's just so many problems inherently in our society that just need to be fixed. And it sucks that I know this is a future fantasy show, that it's still a problem in the future, but also just like very real right now that it's a problem. So, yeah, it just brings up questions that I'm kind of glad the show asks sometimes because I think they're good reminders to just be aware of our political climate and what's going on in our world and the things to fight for. Yeah. So that I appreciate. It did bring up a philosophical question about if Talia wasn't raised a Krill, who didn't have these fundamentalist beliefs, would she have had Anaya? Like, it just brings up if her upbringing was different than mm-hmm. being a Krill, what her story would have looked like. But that changes everything. It's the whole butterfly effect. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. This is the rabbit hole I went down after the episode just thinking about how things could be different for Talia and for Anaya. Anaya's an adorable little girl, and I only want the best for her. So,
0: <laughs> Protect at all costs.
1: Yeah. And just it also goes to show how damaging it can be when a fundamentalist or radical idea has been like, this is the only way. Mm-hmm. And so keeping an open mind, I think, is always a good reminder. I thought it was a great story about power and corruption. And it was, man, it's a dictatorship. At the end of the day, that's not a fair leadership role. No, It's just a really good discussion on the moral sides of how a lot of this stuff could have been handled and the differences between how the Planetary Union runs things and how the Krill Mm -hmm. run things. So the original chancellor seemed very much more like, yeah, let's make this treaty happen. But it just shows that there are issues in every society and that it doesn't seem like the future removes those issues.
0: Especially when we're looking at a different culture. Like a lot of those things are probably more settled on the Planetary Union side, but we can hold a mirror up to our own society when we put it in something else. Yeah. By putting those issues into the Krill Society, we say, well, if it looks weird over there, why are we not thinking it looks weird over here?
1: Yeah, I just... I found every episode so far this season has like left me sitting there with these thoughts of like, honestly, moral issues mm-hmm. and just a day after I watch it. And then even the weeks after I keep thinking about those things. So I guess in a way, I'm kind of grateful for it because I feel like it's an intellectually stimulating show. And I very much have appreciated that it's not shying away from things that are difficult to address or even encroach upon. Like a lot mm-hmm. of shows just avoid it. Just like every which way, like we got to just dance around everything. And I'm glad that they're not dancing around stuff.
0: That's what good sci-fi does.
1: I know. Ed has a kid. I don't know if that's something you does knew. He? I really? just, yeah, I don't know if you knew that. Huh. Uh, Ed has a kid. Uh, so that was a big takeaway for me. Yeah. I also am wondering if anything will come of Talia and Ed's relationship. Not romantically, maybe romantically, but just I do think that there is a bond there. Obviously now with Anaya, I'm very excited To see the growth of whatever that might be. yeah. And I also think more importantly, what is going to be the dynamic of Anaya and Ed's relationship in the future, if any. I'm
0: curious to see that, yeah.
1: And last but not least, (laughs) this episode featured a lot of Ed and Kelly's relationship dynamic. Yeah. And I feel like we haven't really seen that much so far this season. And I thought it was nice. There was like a tenderness to it. And maybe it's them arriving at closure on what their relationship was, or is it potentially blossoming into something a little bit more? I just enjoyed seeing their dynamic a lot this episode because they were married. They've had issues in the past. It was just like they were there for each other, I felt like, in this episode. And Kelly on the Orville, Ed on the Planet, I just thought that was a very interesting dynamic to have for this. And they're both great leaders and it was just their last sweet moments between the two of them. True. So, yeah, I don't know what'll come of that, but I did enjoy seeing their relationship this episode. So, Rob, what is your takeaway?
0: <laughs> Man, this is this is a great episode. It's super exciting. There's a ton of action. I had the same phrase that it is visually stunning. Mm-hmm. And the humor is so organic. While I've loved the show up to this point, this is the exact tone and balance That feels like its best evolution so far. This episode in particular really gives me what I've wanted.
1: I enjoyed the lighter moments that were peppered into this episode a lot.
0: And as we've touched on the past, they're not like, here's a joke for joke's sake. Yeah. And this is something that we were told going in that the comedy was going to feel more organic and more character based. And it really does.
1: This season is very different than season one and two. And I think that's fair to say at this point but it's not a bad different. Agreed. Yeah, it's something where I feel like the show has grown into itself and it's now being more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. But I also, and I headcanon this, and it just makes sense to me too from a storytelling perspective, the Kalon war has changed things too. And I just feel like overarching the the universe is probably a little bit different now. And that to me makes sense.
0: Not only the Kalon war changing the tone and attitude of everything, but the fact that And we haven't talked about this much at all. And I don't know if it will be prominent. They technically did not have to refit the Orville if they didn't want to. Mm -hmm. They could have chalked it up to it being a change of the timeline being reset and dialed back because when they reset the timeline, there could still be leftover changes because it's not going to be 100% exactly like it was.
1: There's so many things that happen at the end of season two that could mm-hmm. influence why yeah. season three is the way that it is. And I have a suspicion that we're still not going to fully find that out. I think everything in this show is so detailed. Every single person who works on this show is detail oriented. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything is not done without a reason. Does that make sense? I
0: agree with that. Yeah. If you asked me which character I wanted to see come back for season three the most, it was Talia. So I was absolutely thrilled to see her again. I find her to be such a fully realized, complex individual to the point where she's not only fascinating on her own, but she adds a whole level of depth to Ed's character as well.
1: They play off of each other really well. Yeah, they do. And when I was looking up the past episode she's been in, she's made such an impact She's also impacted a ton of the storyline over the years, I guess, at this point. Yeah, (laughs) she's been
0: in. She's probably the most recurring outside of like the admirals. Mm -hmm. She's probably one of the most recurring characters we have. I did feel and I think I mentioned this earlier. I did feel like some of the connections to modern day politics were fairly obvious and a little bit heavy handed, but that doesn't mean that they were unwelcome. A lot of the same ideas were pretty prominent in the comics as well. Like we read that for anyone who hasn't read the comics that take place in between seasons. I highly recommend going back to some of those because you'll you'll notice some of those same themes continuing from the comics into this episode specifically.
1: The comics are really good. If you like the show and you're like, oh, I'm a little iffy about comics. I don't read comics all that much or graphic novels. Mm-hmm. I really like them. Yeah, they're really nice supplemental Episodes is what I like to think of them as.
0: And that's how David Goodman described them, too. He wrote them to be consumed like episodes. They should feel like episodes.
1: He did allude to in digressions that there's an Easter egg for season three. Oh, right. And so now that season three is happening, I kind of want to just go thumb through that and see if I find anything.
0: (laughs) That's a good call. I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, yeah.
1: So there's Easter eggs in the comics as well as what I was trying to get at is that for the show and other pop culture, sci-fi Easter eggs, too. Mm -hmm.
0: Lastly, aside from that, I think this is the best episode of season three so far and even one of the best episodes of the series.
1: It's a pretty phenomenal episode. It's got a lot going for it. Yeah. It's hard to fault something as pretty as this, but also the storyline holds up, too. Like, it's not just something that's nice to look at. It's got a very compelling story that yeah. you you get invested in and like I said I got goosebumps several times throughout this and I was on an emotional roller coaster because Ed has a kid, and that's how I know I'm invested in this show. It's just, I'm so attached to these characters that I care about what happens to them. And mm-hmm. like, I just feel for the character in the sense of like, he has this kid that he doesn't have access to and just how heartbreaking all that must be. And he alludes to that at the end with, I miss her. Is that weird to say? And I like how the writers have written dialogue this season that feels organic, mm-hmm. kind of like you were saying. It just feels like conversations people would actually have.
0: Yeah, it feels like Ed having a kid is as big a revelation as we got an identity when we learned about what the K-Lon truly are.
1: The show does something special that I feel like I try to point out and you try to point out all the time, but it just, the show does something special and I just feel like this episode feels like a special episode.
0: It does, absolutely. Before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do. Because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a big fan of the Orville and always leaves us with his one sentence review. Little Orphan Zelaya and Annie just shouting, you're all going to die tomorrow to the Krill Chancellor. And then he does talk about a hard knock life. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com.
1: If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support.
0: You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Pod and me at Logan.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Play, Katie Play and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E.
0: Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode.
1: Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantum drive at com
0: We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in,
1: in the, the future. future.